Good morning. Thank you so much. Good morning to everyone who's joining us from home as well, or from the beach, if they've got their phones with them there. Um, this morning's message is a fairly simple one, but I don't think we should ever um, take for granted the simplicity of the message of God, because sometimes, like I think I've said it before, we overcomplicate it, and we try to, try to make it something it isn't, and it's pretty straightforward and easy to follow. So this morning, I'm going to be sharing with you from the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians is quite an interesting book. Is this mic okay? It's tickling me on the chin. Can you hear me okay? I, I don't mind where it is, provided the sound guys are happy. Okay. Um, so Ephesians is quite an interesting book. It's one of the epistles, one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in one of his imprisonments. So Paul was imprisoned a few times during his ministry, and Ephesians was written during his first imprisonment, round about the year AD 60, somewhere between AD 60 and 62. And um, Paul is writing, he writes these four letters that he wrote while he was in prison. He wrote the book of Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. So those four were all written from places where he was physically in chains. And the, the uh, sort of counter side of that is as much as he was physically in prison while he was writing each of those letters, everyone agrees that those books have got profound messages of liberty. So while Paul was in prison, he was writing about freedom. And I don't think it was going, gee, one day I wish I'll be free. The amazing thing was he was sharing the message of the freedom that we have in Christ while he himself was physically in chains. And Ephesians in particular is called the Grand Canyon of Scripture because it, it, instead of it dealing with, like some of the other books, that deal specifically with certain problems within certain church groups of the time, Ephesians is sort of an overview. It's sometimes called the Wealth, Walk, and Warfare Book. Warfare book because it deals with the majesty of God. The first part of it speaks about how majestic God is and the amazing gift he has given us through the person and the death of Jesus Christ. Then it speaks about some, some sort of uh, practical applications for within the church. And then Paul ends off with a warfare scripture. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So I've entitled this morning's message, Equipped. And it's not something that you, that, uh, that's brand new. I'm sure you've all heard this particular portion of scripture before. But I'm hoping that we will leave here with sort of a, re a renewal of that message and maybe a, a newfound sense of, of challenge and purpose in the lives that we live here on earth in the name of Christ. So I'm going to end, I'm going to start off with where Paul ends off the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 18. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me there. I'm reading from the NIV version. And this is what he says. So he's now been speaking about the majesty of God. He's been speaking about the practical application and how to live our lives. And now he ends off with this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, and he says it again, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate plate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Anyone who's never heard that portion of scripture before. Even if you've heard it and you're familiar with it, it never ceases to amaze me the power behind these words if we just stop to consider them for a moment. We were praying in the prayer meeting this morning about the number of battles that people are facing right now. And, you know, we've all got different walks of life. We've all got completely different stories. You can even be coming from the exact same household as somebody else here in the room, but I guarantee your two stories are not identical. But the one thing we all have in common as human beings and and as, as members of this church is we undoubtedly have or most likely currently are facing a battle or battles of some kind. I mean, who, who, who would like to live a life without problems? We all would. But unfortunately, it's one of those realities of being alive, is there's going to be things that come against us. There's going to be problems that come against us. And what Paul is saying here is that as much as we might be stressing about the physical problems we have, I mean, I tried to Google what are some of the top problems of the day and age? And I could probably ask you to shout some at me without even having to have the list in front of me. I mean, one of the top things, work-related, relationship-related, finance-related. I mean, who's loving the, the increased interest rate at the moment? You know, there's all these problems that we face in the physical. And Paul is saying as much as we've got these sort of physical battles in front of us, we need to realize that the actual, the actual warfare, the actual battle is happening in the spiritual realm around us instead. And that's the one that we need to battle the hardest against. Oh, excuse me. I'm I'm recovering from a bit of a cold. So if my voice comes and goes, I apologize. Um, I've got to, I want to put up for you quickly a picture of a Roman soldier, because while Paul was writing this, he was a prisoner of the Roman Empire. So he was in a Roman prison, which means he would have, while he was writing this, and perhaps this was in part his inspiration for these words, he would have been surrounded by guys who, okay, that one's in full battle regalia, but they would have all been dressed in their sort of armor and their uniforms and marching around the compound or the prison, wherever he was. And some people, there's a bit of debate, and to be honest, I think it's just really a, a semantics thing. It doesn't really matter whether you believe it's this kind of armor or the old kind of armor, but I've I've got pictures of that too. But I just want to show you. So you've got the Roman soldier there, and that's kind of the epitome and the picture that's created in the words that we've just read in Ephesians. So that's when when the people of the time would have heard these words, when the church, uh, the church has received this letter, they would have been well familiar with this picture because they were currently under Roman occupation and there were Roman soldiers everywhere and not everyone was very happy about it, all right? But it would have been an image that they were well familiar with. But I just want to show you the similarities between whether you believe it's this kind of armor or another kind of armor. I've actually got a photograph. Can we put up the photograph of genuine, it's Babylonian... Um, Armor. So that comes from the Babylonian era, and you can see a lot of similarities there, right? And we've also got an illustration, if you don't mind turning to that, just of some sort of old... Te- no, yeah, yeah, oh, there we are. That's, that's hieroglyphics. I actually forgot I had that one there, but we can go back to the one with the three men. That's sort of the Old Testament armor. And whether you believe he was speaking about a Roman soldier or one of these soldiers, you can see the similarities. 
the breastplates, they've got belts around them, they've generally got a shield in hand, a weapon of some kind, a helmet on their head. Obviously, the earlier guys had their spears, the later guys had their swords. But basically, the people of the time would have all had some kind of picture of what Paul was speaking about. And obviously, the um, armor and things had evolved over the years. But essentially, we still use a very similar armor in our armies today, some kind of headgear, some kind of torso gear, some kind of shield, I suppose, and some kind of weapon, even if we're not using swords anymore. So everybody should be familiar with the image of a soldier is basically what I'm, what I'm getting at. And I want to very briefly, I want to break down the different parts of the armor that he's spoken about, but I don't want to spend too long doing that. But I just want to give us a sort of an, an overview of how the physical idea of a soldier manifests itself in the spiritual that Paul is writing into. And so the first two pieces of armor that Paul tackles when he is writing are the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So the belt of truth, if you go back to the King James Version, doesn't use the word belt. It says, girt your loins, all right? So just to give you an idea, nowadays soldiers generally wear pants. Um, in the biblical times, you'll notice if you go back there, they all look like they're wearing skirts. They're not actually skirts. They're tunics. They're like sort of long dresses. So the belt was not used to keep their skirts or their pants up, but the belt had another very, very important function, and it functioned together with the breastplate. So the belt and the breastplate went together. The breastplate was obviously, if you look at something like the middle guy here and the guy up on the right, um, they, the, the breastplate protects your vital organs. And in spiritual sense, Paul is speaking about how the righteousness of God protects our hearts. And what is the righteousness of God? The righteousness is our right standing with God. So he says, when you're putting on your armor, when you're getting dressed in this armor of God, he says, remember the righteousness of God that protects you. And what is righteousness? It's justification. It's being free from guilt and sin. Because what's the first thing the enemy does when he comes against us? You know, those dark thoughts alone at night, all the things you've ever done wrong, all the guilt, all the guilt that weighs on your heart. And you go, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of God. I'm not worthy of, of love. I'm not worthy of this cause. I'm not worthy to be called a child of God. And Paul says, no, there's a breastplate of righteousness. God armors us with his justification. He armors us with the knowledge that we are free of sin and guilt. And here's the cool thing. The function of the belt in the biblical sense was to keep the breastplate down. If you go and Google it, why did they have to wear a belt? It was to keep the breastplate, breastplate from moving around and hindering them in battle. And what does Paul say the belt is? He says it's the belt of truth. Who in, in the Bible times called himself the truth? Who is it that holds our justification in place? Who is it that holds the guiltlessness that God has given us, the freedom from sin in place? Not our own strength, not our own design, but Jesus Christ himself as our belt surrounding us, holding that justification in place. So our breastplate of righteousness, our right standing with God is held there because of the belt of truth of Christ, that when we put it on and Satan comes against us and says, you're not worthy, all that guilt in your heart, I'm just going to keep, keep making, making it fester and grow. We have the knowledge that we are guilt-free, and not because of our own efforts, but because Christ holds that, that guiltlessness, that justification, that righteousness in place for us. 
And so those are the first two pieces of armor that, that he, he mentions. The belt of truth holding on to the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus himself said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just a good idea or being true. It's Christ himself holding our, our justification onto our hearts. The next piece of armor that he speaks about. Are we doing okay this morning, by the way? We're all right. We're a bit hot. Okay. The next one he speaks of is the feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Now, it's interesting because you'll notice these guys, a lot of them look barefoot. And the Roman soldier also looks like he's got these sort of sandals on. The the Bible doesn't mention a shoe, per se, in the original version. It just speaks about having your feet fitted with preparedness or readiness. And um, the preparation that it speaks of, it says, sorry, I want to just go back there. It says, um, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That readiness in the King James Version is preparation, which means to be ready at all times, to be prepared to take a stand at any time. And it's good that he, in, in Ephesians, Paul keeps saying, take a stand, stand firm, because what do we stand on? Our feet. And for a soldier, the feet were, were, were pivotal to his ability to fight in battle, because he could have the very best armor, but if he was taken off his feet, he was vulnerable. And so when Paul says, have your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel, there's two sort of messages happening here. Your feet can take a defensive or an offensive position. So when the enemy comes against you and you can stand firm, you can defend yourself against his, his attack. But just as much, the armies can move forward because they can take an offensive line. They can move forward and gain ground for the kingdom of God because their feet move them in that direction. I want to share with you a, a quick quote that I found. It's not on the, on the um, projector, but it says this. The word readiness implies constant vigilance. A victorious soldier had to be prepared for battle. He had to have studied his enemy's strategy, to be confident in his own strategy, and to have his feet firmly planted so that he could hold his ground when the attacks came. A soldier's battle shoes were studded with nails or spikes like cleats to help him keep his balance in combat. He knew that if he lost his footing and went down, it wouldn't matter how great the rest of his armor was, the enemy had him. So when Paul says, stand firm, stand firm, what do we stand firm on? We stand firm on the gospel, on the good news of the peace that Jesus brings us. We stand firm in the message that God has given us through the life and the, and the death of Jesus Christ. We go, when, when the enemy comes and starts to cause us to be shaken and to start to cause us to lose our stability in the spiritual realm, we dig in deep, we stand firm, and we go, we will not be moved. We will not be shaken because we are standing not in our own strength, but on the power and the glory of the message of God. Timothy 4 verse 2 says this, be ready in season and out of season. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I'm getting ready, like the last thing I put on are my shoes. And sometimes I've got a habit of leaving them all over the house and I never quite know where they are. When I, anyone else like that or is it just me? Like you lose your shoes, right? He's saying, don't do that. The gospel is the thing that you have on with you at all times. You be ready to move. You be ready to go. You be ready to stand your ground because you never know when the attacks might come. You never know when the problems and the challenges that we face, are, we're going to encounter them. He says, stand firm on that gospel. Be ready. Be prepared to, and when I say defend, but be prepared to stand your ground against the strikes of the enemy. 
The next piece of, of armor that he gives us is the shield of faith. And if you go back to that picture of the Roman soldier, if you don't mind, Paul even tells us in the scripture, he says exactly what the shield is used for. He says the shield is used to extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. And I don't know if you guys like watching those like sort of period era pieces, you know, with the Roman, uh, Roman soldier like Gladiator and those kind of movies. But if you ever have, you'll notice that there's something unique about the Roman shields and the way that they use them. And the shields, they could obviously hold out. They were pretty long shields, so they could kind of protect the main part of the body. And they could hold them out and defend against an individual attack. But the important thing with their shields is that they would also, when they were under fire from enemy arrows, they would group together. And you'd have the whole legion or whatever, what do you call them, a little company of soldiers. You'd have them band together. And the front row would put their shields on the ground and duck down behind them. And the guys on the side would put their shields out to the side and kind of form a a wall. And then the back rows would lift their shields up and hold them above their heads. And so it meant that there was absolutely no chance that the enemy arrows could get at them from the front, from the sides, from the back, from the top. They formed a complete sort of shelter from all the airstrikes of the arrows around them because they banded together. And that's what the church is like. We've all got our own shields, right? We've all got our own, God's, God's given you a shield and you can use it. But how much more powerful are we when we bring that faith together? When all of us stand with our shields at the ready, when we get behind those that are struggling, when we get around those that are struggling, when we lift our shields up over the people that are struggling and we go, you know what, I'm not going to be part of the problem. I'm not going to be the one that puts you down. I'm going to be the one that lifts you up and protects you with the armor of God. How much more powerful is the church of God in today's day and age when we work together as one? And that's very much, if you go back in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses that message and he speaks about unity in the church and he speaks about unity in families and he speaks about the role of each individual and how important it is in this battle that we're constantly fighting. And if you don't think there's a battle, I'd love to come and chat with you because I don't know, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where the church was not under fire, where individuals within the churches were not under fire. We're just human beings in general didn't face these overwhelming problems and feel the sense of hopelessness. And Paul is saying, we have this shield of faith. When those arrows come at you, they get extinguished. And what is the shield? Psalm 28 verse 7 says that the Lord is our shield. It's God himself who goes before us and extinguishes those flames. The next piece of armor that he speaks about is the helmet of salvation. And a helmet goes on the head. It's an encirclement of the head. And um, just as the breastplate defends the heart and the vital organs, the helmet's also got a job to do. It defends the head, I assume, the brain, right? And what, what is our brain and this emotions and our mind and all the things? Because the battle generally starts here long before it starts in the spiritual or the physical. The assurance of our salvation is an impenetrable defense against any ill thoughts that the enemy might give us. Paul says that we put on the helmet of what? We put on the helmet of salvation. We put on the helmet of knowing that we have been delivered from the hand of the, of the evil one. We put on our salvation, which the root word comes from the word deliverer. We put on the knowledge of Christ when we face these battles. Joyce Meyer wrote a very uh, well-known book called Battlefield of the Mind. 
And there's this verse, not, not, not in the book, but there's this other common saying that I think most of you could say with me. It says, watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become your character. Watch your character because that becomes your destiny. It all starts up here. I'll never forget one of the most powerful messages I ever heard many, many years ago um, when we were still in the full gospel church. And um, the guy there, Ryan, was preaching about, and he spoke about this message about take captive every thought. And I physically used to do that. As soon as an evil thought, or not even an evil thought, just a negative thought enters your head. I know it sounds, it might sound a bit kooky to say it, but I promise you it works. There's a, there's a verse in scripture that says, take captive every thought. Every thought that, that is not of God, if we take it hold and we go, this is not of God and I will not think on this. It's amazing the power and the strength that we find in that moment. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we are taking control of the battlefield of the mind. We are taking control of the thoughts that would otherwise lead us down a negative path or lead us down the wrong way or lead us in a completely opposite direction than the one that God would have us go. The battle starts up here first. But with the knowledge of our salvation, not the worries and the cares and everything else that that comes along to distract us and all the doubts, but the knowledge of who we are in Christ that we are his delivered people, that he has a plan and a purpose for us, that he has defended us and will continue to defend us, that is our helmet of salvation that, that we cling to in those moments. In Matthew 10 verse 28, Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The battle that we face is far more spiritual than we might realize. The last piece, are we doing okay this morning? I feel like I'm racing through this, but uh, we'll we'll be done shortly. The, um, The last piece of equipment that he gives us is the sword of the spirit. And the sword by um, implication, was sort of judicial punishment. It was the weapon of the soldier. You could have all this wonderful armor on you, but if you didn't have a weapon, what use were you in a battle? And the sword of the Spirit is what Paul puts into our hand. He says, he says the very breath of God, if you go into the, the Strong's Concordance and you read the word Spirit, it means the breath of God. It's the Holy Spirit in us. The sword of the Spirit in our hand will be our weapon as we move forward in the battle. The sword can be both an offensive and a defensive weapon, just like the shoes. You can use it to block attacks, but you can also use it to cut through and make a path. And the Bible tells us, and Jesus says, um, that his word is a sword, that the, the spirit of God is, a, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll cut right through from flesh to bone. We have got the most powerful weapon in our hands, and sometimes I think we just In Hebrews 4 verse 12, God refers to his word as the sword. It's described as being living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. The idea of piercing or penetrating the word of God can cut through anything. It can cut right through the very heart of any, any sort of defenses and challenges that the enemy might throw towards us. The word of God is our weapon. I want to read... Um, the end of that again in Ephesians 6, it says this, put on the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can ex- with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then Paul goes on to say this. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Sorry. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Why does he mention prayer at the very end of all of that? Prayer isn't part of the armor of God. Prayer is the battleground that the armor of God itself. When we pray into things, we are engaging in a battle. We are calling on God, and we are through all sorts, like he says, all sorts of prayers and requests, we are fighting, and God is fighting for us. Because as much as armor equips us, it also identifies who we are. When they used to see people walking in their armor, they would be able to identify that those were Roman soldiers. In fact, you see different armies around the world all have different uniforms, so you can identify where they are from. The same with the armor of God. It's not just an equipment that we use. It helps to identify and helps to remind us who we are. You'll remember in the story of David and Goliath that when David was about to go out and fight Goliath, Saul, who was king at the time, put his own armor onto David. Do you remember that part in the, in, the, in the scripture? And David said, no, there's no way I can fight with this. It doesn't fit me. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's too cumbersome. And sometimes we think like that. Like this is the armor belonging to Christ that he puts on us. Not at all. Our armor doesn't belong to Christ. Our armor is Christ. It's not just something God has given us. It's his own very being that is covering us, that forms this armor. It's not up to us to fight. I've lost the verse. That's what I was looking for. I can't find it here, where it speaks about the battle is not ours, but it's God's. We put on this armor. That doesn't make us any better or bigger or or better equipped. It, It means that we are surrendering who we are, that we can turn our own weakness into the strength of God working through us. It's not just armor that God gives us. It is God himself fighting for us and surrounding us on all sides. The armor is the very person of Jesus Christ himself, the belt of truth. Christ called himself the truth, the breastplate of righteousness. By his stripes, we are justified and made whole. The message of salvation, the shield of faith, the shoes of readiness, all of them point to the person of Jesus Christ being our armor. I want to close off by sharing with you something very cool that I learned the other day. Um, and it, I'm, I'm going to refer to 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul is also speaking about warfare. And he says it like this. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 9. He says, but we have these treasures, sorry, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The battle is tough. There's going to be times where we feel the enemy pushing in, where we feel like we're losing, where we feel like things are going to get us down and that this is it, this is the end, I'm done, I'm over, it's hopeless. But even in those moments, pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. I think there's a whole song on that, if I'm not mistaken. And before he says that, he says this. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And I was watching, I want to show you, do you have that photo of the jar there for me? I was watching, um, as one does when one wants to relax, an an archaeology documentary. (laughs) And um, there's a guy called Albert Lynn, and he goes off and he finds lost cities. And it's really interesting. It's on Disney or whatever. And this wasn't even like a biblical archaeological dig. This was when he was going off to some place to look for the Knights Templar, something or other. And basically, long story short, he pulled out, or the guys pulled out all these jars that they had found with gold coins in them. And apparently, and this is part of what had inspired this idea, um, apparently what they would do in the biblical times, because they didn't have banks, and they didn't have like investment places to go put their money, they would hide their treasures inside these jars, and then they would bury them underground when they were under siege or when they were under attack. And so the jars of clay held their very nearest and dearest possessions. And often we look at that verse and we go, we are these jars of clay, right? Yes, we are. But more so than that, God has taken his most valuable treasure, and he has placed it into us, these jars of clay. And yes, it speaks into how sort of weak we are in comparison to God, but it also speaks into the amazing treasure that he has put inside each and every one of us. Like in all of his creation, God has taken his most valuable treasure and placed it into his church and placed it into you and I as individuals and placed it into the people that he would call his children. We are but jars of clay, but what is in us is the very essence of the creator of the universe himself. In Galatians 2 verse 20, it says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, We are in Christ. I am in Christ and he is in me. In Colossians 1 verse 27, it says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I just want that to sink in for a second because aside from having this armor around us that defends us from the outside attacks, we have this treasure within us That is the very spirit of God himself, who is our defender. Why am I sharing this this morning? Because no matter what you are going through, and I'm not meaning to make light of your troubles and the things that come against you, because they are very real. And you and I know that well. Those things that keep us up at night, those things that wake us up, the things that you wake up in the morning and they're weighing heavy on your heart, those thoughts, those those pressures that you feel, they're real. And I'm not saying, I oh, just get over it in the face of who God is. But I'm saying in the face of who God is, and in the knowledge of who he is, we can take hope. Because there is nothing that is greater than him. There is no battle that we can face that he cannot win. And sometimes it's going to be tough. And sometimes we're going to feel this pressure. And sometimes we're going to be crushed. And we're going to feel like hope is lost. But it's in those moments that we need to dig deep, stand firm, Think consciously of the armor that's surrounding you. Remember the treasure that's inside you. The children in my class, we've just finished reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a Narnia book written by C.S. Lewis. And it's very much a parallel of the story of Christ. Um, And basically, I won't tell you the whole story now, but there's four children, and they get to this land, and the one child, Edmund, betrays his brothers and sisters. And he takes service with the white witch, who's the evil one in Narnia. And he gets rescued. 
And there's this counsel that comes, and the witch comes forward. And she's saying to Aslan, she's saying, that guy over there, that boy over there, he's a traitor. He belongs to me. And she was 100% right. And she was throwing accusations at him. And she was saying all these things that would otherwise have, have caused him to probably crumble. And what I love, and I don't think the kids would have noticed this, but I suppose maybe just because it spoke to me, that in the book, it's just a single little line that C.S. Lewis writes. And he says, while everyone else was watching the witch, Edmund kept his eyes on Aslan. The accusations were coming against him, but his focus wasn't on his accuser. It was on the one who had rescued him. The accusations are going to come. Battles are going to come against you. You can look at them and see how big your problems are, or you can keep firmly focused on the God who not only loves you, but who became one of us that we might be reconciled to him. And in the face of of who our God is and how great he is and how great the treasure within us is and how mighty the armor that he's given us is, we can stand against anything that comes our way. Can we stand together and pray? And if there's anyone afterwards who'd like extra prayer or you want us to stand with you in prayer on someone else's behalf, you can, you can come to the front afterwards. We'll have a little bit of extra prayer time. Um, but don't forget the, the bacon and egg rolls outside just now. We can smell them. They smell good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we are your children. Lord, I pray for every single person here, every single family represented, every single background story, every single nation, Lord. Father, I, I thank you that in this moment you would speak to our hearts. Remind us who we are in you. Remind us of our position in you. Father, you have equipped us for any battles that might come our way. We pray that you would strengthen us, strengthen our resolve in those battles, strengthen our ability, Lord, to, to see you in those moments, to feel you in those moments, to turn to you in those moments. Lord, when we are weak, you are strong. There is nothing, Father, no battle that you cannot overcome. We thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that anyone who is facing a dilemma, anyone who's facing a pressure, a battle, anyone who's feeling pressed, anyone who's feeling pushed down, anyone who's feeling oppressed, Lord, we just pray, Father God, that you would, you would start to work in our hearts now, that we would begin to, to feel that light, that peace, Lord, that restoration that only you can bring. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.